Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Guilty Feminist, this is Deborah. This very special episode is brought to you by the British Red Cross, who are there for people when a crisis strikes, no matter who or where they are. Now, I find when things go badly wrong, I can keep quite a cool head, but then something small, like not being able to find my laptop charger, can send me into a total meltdown. In other words, I'm good in a crisis, but bad in a queue. Our guest is the Learning and Development Manager for the British Red Cross Crisis and Emergency Response Team which means she's not only responsible for the training of over 100 emergency responders and approximately 1,000 volunteers, but she's also an emergency responder and psychosocial volunteer herself. As part of the wider Red Cross and Red Crescent movement, their teams respond to all kinds of urgent emergencies from floods to fires and are there to provide whatever's needed. Thank you to the British Red Cross for making this episode happen so we can all get a glimpse from our guest about what it's really like in those high-pressure moments. And now please welcome our guest, Kate Bedding. Kate, welcome, welcome, welcome to The Guilty Feminist. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. Now, Kate, I was just saying how I can't always keep a cool head. Like, I'm actually very good when things are going properly wrong. But suddenly, I'll break at the tiniest little thing Are you always someone who can keep a cool head? Is that what you need to do the job? You need to be someone who's just like that? Do you have to learn that? Or do sometimes you have moments like anybody? Oh, I am never calm when it's a personal crisis at all. When you were talking about the laptop charger, that is me. I am very much, the little things do totally drive me over the edge. I think it's when it's anything personal I'm not very good at. When it's when it's somebody else's crisis, when it's an emergency, I can sort of go into a zone and sort of deal with it quite well. But absolutely, anything personal, I am, I am useless. Mm, I totally get it. So you can put your stress and anxiety into small personal things. But where it comes to those big things for the Red Cross, you can rise to that, which must be an extraordinary thing to be able to do. What made you want to become an emergency responder? Like, what did you do before this where you thought, yeah, that's for me, I can do this? So I've worked for several charities kind of previously, um, and I joined the British Red Cross in 2019 as a Red Cross trainer, so delivering first aid um, courses to people. And 
had absolutely no idea the British Red Cross did all this stuff. I didn't know they had local emergency response uh, services. I didn't know they hired wheelchairs. I knew absolutely nothing. Um, and I joined and I sort of delivered courses and then the pandemic hit. Um, and in mm. March, 2020, we weren't delivering first aid courses anymore. So I was redeployed into mobility aids and worked on a coronavirus support line that they had set up. And I was getting calls from people who needed different things. And uh, suddenly I was aware of these amazing local response teams with all these amazing volunteers that were going and delivering food parcels and picking up prescriptions. Um, and it was like, wow, there's this like organization that do this. Um, and when I was on the support line, I received a call from a gentleman. His wife was in a care home and she couldn't speak anymore. And every oh. night he used to video call her with a camera that he had um, sort of attached to his computer and he'd phoned because it had broken and he phoned and, and, and explained this and said you know is there any way that you can get me a new camera and I remember thinking mm. I don't think so like I don't think we do that kind of thing I've not heard of that kind of thing and and sort of other organizations you know other charities very often understandably quite be quite restrictive you know do you live in a certain location are you a certain age and I, you know, I spent over an hour talking to him, sort of trying to manage expectations. And I was like, well, you know, we'll put in the request and someone will get in touch with you. Um, and the next day I had an email from the local team that said, yeah, we've, we've got a camera, we've arranged it. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Like I knew that to this couple, that was their world. That was everything. Mm. That was the only way that they could connect and the British Red Cross was able to do that. And it was it was a bit like a drug. I was like, gosh, this this has made me feel amazing. I want some more of this. So I joined up as a local emergency response volunteer. And, and, and yes, it have changed my job within the Red Cross. I absolutely love that. What What is a day in the life typically like for an emergency responder? Is there a typical day? No, not at all. We, we never know. So we work 365 days a year um, at all times of day and night in all weather conditions, you know. Just to be clear, you don't personally work 365 days a year. No. Somebody's always working. <laughs> yes. Because I was going to say, you're being overworked. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not being paid enough. No. <laughs> so <laughs> thank goodness we have, um, say, over the over a thousand amazing volunteers across the UK that do sign up to rotors so they can um, sort of juggle it around paid work and family and other hobbies. And they are there for their communities when there is an emergency, when they are needed, when they're called by the fire service, when the local authority need them to work in a rest centre because people have had to be evacuated. They go out and respond and it's it's absolutely incredible to see. So what do you do before, during and after a crisis? So in the British Red Cross, we believe a crisis is not just the crisis as it is. So we are very keen to prepare individuals and communities for a crisis. We run community resilience programs and workshops trying to encourage organisations and businesses to come together to make plans. Our community education team deliver workshops in schools, again, to individuals and organisations to make them more resilient. When there is a crisis, then we get called, our, our local emergency response teams are there. But we also know that a crisis is not just that period of time. And 
We have a national support line that people can call afterwards to continue to get support, to be signposted to other agencies and organizations to continue to have that support. And again, our community education teams work on sort of adapting and recovery workshops as well. So that would have been good before COVID because there were lots yes. of people predicting a pandemic. Yes. And we had no prep for it. And I think if we did, and God hope we don't have another COVID or another pandemic, I would immediately go, okay, I know what resources I need. I know what resilience I'm going to need. I have a sense of what it might be like. And so I think that's the most valuable thing for us to be prepped. Can I ask, what are some of the emergencies, both in the UK and abroad, that you've been part of the emergency response for? It's very varied. So we, as a team, can respond to any sort of emergency within a community that needs us to go and offer support to people and and what they're going through. Ones that I've been involved in. So two years ago, we had a devastating shooting um, in Plymouth. And I was part of a, a team of volunteers that went and supported the community for the week afterwards. And we walked the streets of that community. We spoke to people. We kind of stood at vigil sites, spoke to children, spoke to people who were just trying to understand what happened the whole community was devastated and just offering them a safe space to acknowledge what they were going through to ask them how they were to asking how they could potentially think about their community in a new way you know their security and their safety had totally gone and just being there and 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 sort of you know the power of our symbol is is makes people be open and and trusting to us and that that was really powerful um that response um I've delivered toys to some children who came over from Afghanistan in in the relocation flights in 2021 and again they had um left with hardly anything and again seeing the expression on their faces to have toys again was you know Mm. absolutely incredible And then abroad, I was um, incredibly lucky to be part of a six-person team that deployed with the Foreign and Commonwealth Office um, to Cyprus to support people who were evacuated from Sudan at the end of April. And again, that was an amazing, humbling experience to hear people's stories who had fled for their lives, who had seen family and friends shot in front of them, who again were forced to leave a country they never thought they were going to have to leave with no possessions lots of mothers with very young children you know brought over on a military plane to cyprus and then going to the uk not knowing anyone not knowing where they were going to end up and just the amazing spirit that people had the amazing kindness that people have i'm always amazed in a crisis that so often people think of other people you know, you, I think you could see that it would be incredibly, understandably very selfish when somebody is, is going through something. And yet mm. everybody is, is so kind and so often asks about other people and, and wants to support other people as well. Yes, I've always been so taken aback when you go to do some volunteer work in a refugee camp and a refugee will say, oh, take my gloves, your, your hands are cold, take my gloves for half an hour. And you'll go, no, no, of course not. And they'll say, no, no, I'm used to it. Or I've had gloves on all day. You need them for half an hour. And there's a sort of kindness and a compassion 
often from people who experience extreme hardship and emergencies where they understand, have a heightened understanding sometimes. And that's not to beatify people who are refugees or going through extreme emergencies. Not everyone responds that way, but some people really do. And it's always an extraordinary thing and it really evokes your own humanity and compassion and desire for connection when it happens. Um, can I ask in what way urgent emergencies impact affected communities and how does that differ from how it impacts individuals or does it? As um, you know, I'm sure everyone is aware that, that crises and emergencies affect everybody differently. Um, how it happens to them, what it is that happens to them. Is their family affected? Is their home affected? Is their business affected? Is it something temporary or is it something that is is truly life-changing? And also, we are all very complex human individuals who all have past and stuff as well. And some of the things that we have to be aware of is that when we go to people in an emergency, they may be then reliving something that has happened already that could be a trauma or we know from our research that people who have experienced flooding can get very anxious as soon as it starts raining. As soon as there's a Met Office mm. warning of extreme rain, then that can bring back real heightened anxiety that their property might be flooded again. So every individual is different. And when we go and offer support, it's about ensuring that we are there for that individual, that we try not to make any presumptions. And it's very much about trying to to hear from them how are they feeling and how can we try and enable them how can we give them back some choice how can we give them back some options and some dignity when all of this is going on and communities as well a friend of mine who's a refugee when the, the lockdown was just about to happen and they said if you want to get out of London you've got to go now because there's going to be roadblocks there was a lot of quite, we've got to go now, we've got to go now, we've got to go now. And that refugee said to me, that was really, it evoked me leaving my hometown, my home country, because everyone was saying, don't worry, we'll be back in a few weeks. And uh, they said, that's exactly what it was like. You're back in a few weeks. And then I've never been there again. I've never been, it's never been safe to go home again. And it felt like that. It felt like you're leaving London, which was the right thing to do for uh, a safe place in the country. It was the, it was a good thing to do. It wasn't a bad thing to do, and it didn't have a bad ending. But the experience of it brought everything back, and brought back the truth of the fact that they don't know if they'll ever be able to go home again, or if they or when they will be able to. And that really taught me how much, as you say, someone's had flooding and then it starts raining. This the nervous system identifies a sign, and it and even though you rationally might go well, rain isn't a flood that's going to tear me away from my home country or my family or destroy everything I've ever had and loved, uh, kill people I love. It, you know that rationally, but your nervous system doesn't know it. And so this is a really interesting, um, important thing for us to remember. Yeah, exactly as you said, Deborah, about the, but the power of language as well, isn't it? How certain words can be really triggering for people as well and especially when we see so much in the media as well it can really sort of play exactly as you said like into our nervous system and again it can really increase 
that anxiety or we can watch things in the media and think that they are different to what they are. Um, and again, we we have to be very aware of that as well when we go into communities that there might be certain nuances there. And, it, and again, when we work in, say, something like a rest center, which might be set up because people have perhaps had to be evacuated from their homes because there's been flooding or there's been uh, perhaps a block of flats has caught fire so people can no longer be in their homes, then we always try and work with other organizations that within the community that that may know parts of that community better. And it's about always trying to support people in the best way and acknowledging that we we might not always be the best way. So reaching out and trying to create these partnerships and these networks before there's a crisis. So if there is something going on, you know, we can make that phone call, we can make that email and we can work together in collaboration to support communities and individuals. Well, that's an extraordinary thing. Can I ask what effect this kind of work as a responder had on you personally? Because these seem to be very powerful, very positive things that you're doing in times of crisis. Has it influenced your perspective on humanitarian support? How has it affected you? You can't help but be moved as a human. And I think anybody who volunteers and works for the British Red Cross, as as many other kind of voluntary organizations we we want to be there we want to do good we want to help people I didn't really know what a humanitarian was until I worked for the British Red Cross I didn't really know the power of humanitarian support um, until I went to Plymouth until I went to Cyprus until I really saw it in action and actually it's very often the most basic of things in that it can be a smile it can be making Mm. contact with someone and smiling and and saying I'm I'm here for you or genuinely saying to someone are you okay and then taking the time to listen to them and that's what's really kind of um struck me is that kind of sometimes it's the simplest of things that can make all the difference and it's just incredibly humbling I think to see people in that state and and we've said about how incredibly generous people are and how resilient people are so we made calls to people in in Storm Arwen who hadn't had power for four days and they were like I'm fine how's my neighbor have you checked on my neighbor and I'm like god you're amazing you know just and I think there's there's a real amazing kind of resilient spirit that we have and and maybe again through the pandemic kind of we've we've all had to get a bit stronger and a bit more resilient um but that doesn't stop me being really upset when I lose my laptop charger all those (laughs) things at times but I think it's incredible you know really amazing to be part of it's a huge privilege to be part of people's journey to recovery and we're not very good at asking for support and help a lot of the time, even when we are going through a crisis. Well, it so takes someone... vulnerability to say, I, I need help, doesn't it? Absolutely. But speaking of help and generosity, how can we help? What is it that we can do to support your efforts, Kate? We do rely on kind of the incredible generosity of our donors to uh, financially be able to support the work we do and also for volunteers to continue to give up their time to help us. So All we do in emergency response, all the practical and emotional support we provide to people, whether it's blankets or clothing, whether it's toys and games for children, whether it's 
pet food, whether it's our Red Cross vehicles, whether it's our workwear, everything we do to be able to support communities in crisis comes from those donations. And Mm. it comes from our amazing team of volunteers who are prepared to get up at 2.30 in the pouring rain to go and support people. So if someone wants to become a volunteer, what do they do? What's the first step? So we have got some adverts out for um, our teams across the country. So the best thing to do is to go on the Red Cross website and to search for volunteering opportunities. And it's not just emergency response. We've got lots of opportunities in the different services that we provide. But do come join us. And if people want to give financially, they think, well, I don't have that kind of time or they think they're not the right person for that. How do they donate? We are really aware at the minute that everybody is struggling financially. So if anybody um, is prepared to do that, then we are incredibly grateful for that. And no donation is is too small. Um, and again, if they go on the Red Cross website and, and search um, donation, there are lots of different ways that they can do that. And can I ask, is there anything that you think, if people are thinking, oh, I'd love to be a first responder, but I, I just don't think I'd be able to, what kind of qualities do people need to have? And is there training? Like, can you use anybody? Are are there qualities that you are looking for in people? Or can you train anybody to do some kind of responding, even though some people might have some qualities and some people might have others? Are there different sorts of jobs people can do? I think we are humans supporting humans. Therefore, Mm. I think we need a huge volunteer workforce of, of lots of different people. And I think you know, volunteers very often come with amazing experiences of jobs, of other volunteering opportunities. And anybody who is prepared to give up their time, then we would welcome. We do have a recruitment process. Um, we do have a training program. I I write and oversee that program. <laughs> so we do, I can assure you that we give our, we give our volunteers lots of training um, to try and make sure that they are equipped and they feel confident in what they do. Because we do give them some very challenging situations to work in and and people do have some very complex needs. So we want to make sure that our staff and volunteers feel confident and competent to be able to support people because that's what it's about. We want to make sure that the people who need us get the right help and support. One of my friends who was a refugee living in a country without any papers, he volunteered for the Red Cross for ages because he couldn't do paid work. He wasn't allowed to. And, you know, I think sometimes we think, oh, well, I'd have to be this kind of person or that kind of person. But I think what he brought was understanding. But someone else might bring the fact that they haven't had any trauma and they're not going to be as easily triggered. Someone else might bring uh, really good admin skills. Somebody else might bring really good communication skills or just that warm smile. So whatever you've got, if you feel like it could be for you, give it a go. You can always do the training. And then go, no, it's not for me, can't you? So it's best, Absolutely. obviously, obviously don't, I'm not advertising people just waste the Red Cross this time by taking the training. But I mean, sometimes people are really nervous and they think, no, I can't imagine the end. So therefore I shouldn't do the beginning. And I don't think that's right. I think if you do do the beginning, you'll find yourself in the middle and then you you will enjoy it and you'll very likely get all the way through. Absolutely. Is there anything, Kate, that you came to say that you didn't get to say? I would say get in touch with us, come and have a chat. We've got lots of uh, different opportunities within the British Red Cross. And if you would like to come and support people in your community, then definitely do get in touch and join our local emergency response teams. So look up the British Red Cross, whatever you can give, whether it be time, money, 
a bit, little bit of yourself or even sharing this podcast uh, or other materials with friends, people in your WhatsApp groups, people online, then please, please do. If you're listening internationally, then uh, you'll have a Red Cross where you are for sure, or it might be called the Red Crescent. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining us today and sharing your story. And another huge thanks to the British Red Cross for making this episode possible too. If you want to get involved, search British Red Cross to support the world's emergency responders. Thank you so much, Kate, and well done with everything you're doing. We really appreciate you doing it and we really appreciate you spending the time to come and talk to us today. Thank you so much, Deborah, and thank you for letting me talk about it. Oh, delighted. <laughs> 